Body. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 today. And last Sunday, we began to look at the moment that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to have a child and he was going to be the son of God. And we kind of looked round about the passage and did a bit of background work on Gabriel and that moment when Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you. And we, we spoke about how as Gabriel delivered her, his message to, to Mary, he was not speaking of his own volition, he was speaking a word that came straight from the throne of God. It was a word of God to Mary. It was a word that was intended to change the culture of her soul. It was intended to change her very life direction. And what we spoke about was how uh, God often speaks in ways that strengthens, encourages, and comforts, but he doesn't often speak in life-transformative, culture-shaping ways in which he releases purpose. And so it's important that when he does, we know how to position ourselves in such a moment, how to respond to such a moment. We're not saying that those moments don't happen. They do. He, he speaks in ways that alters the very life direction, that changes the culture of the soul, that releases us into purpose. But he doesn't speak that way regularly to us. Those moments happen rarely, and they are life transformative when they do. And this week, we are kind of building on that thought process and looking not just at what it happens in those times when God speaks to release purpose, but what it's like when we then begin to journey with that purpose. And so we pick up the passage in Luke chapter 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today, and we read from verse 1. And it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's natural that when we begin to look at the Christmas story, we, we begin to look at the main characters, the big hitters, the Marys, the Josephs, the wise men, the shepherds. And in this short passage that we read together, we're actually introduced to another character who is very minor in terms of reference within the story. In fact, the character is not referenced directly at all. But this character has a major part to play in what has been deemed the greatest story ever told. Within this passage, in one short, simple sentence, there is some profound information and holds up, opens up a whole new dimension to the story. It's a dimension that we all know, that we all recognize, that we all understand, but it is opened up in this one sentence in which this minor character with a major influence is introduced to us. And this little sentence with a big impact is, of course, verse 7, where it says, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him and no place for them, no room for them in the end. Here in this sentence is some pretty important information. We're told that Jesus was born in a manger. Actually, he wasn't born in the manger. He was born wrapped in cloths and placed in the manger to sleep. 
And Luke in his narrative explains the reason as to why this happens. And he tells us the reason that it happened was because there was no room for them, no place for them in the inn. A pretty key element of the story of Christmas that we tell year in and year out is the busyness of Bethlehem, the no vacancies signs over the B&Bs, the hustle and bustle of the town and the fully booked rooms within Bethlehem. And the busyness of Bethlehem is something that we all know and something that we all understand as a critical element of the story. But have we ever stopped to understand where that comes from and the implications of that and what it teaches us? It comes from this sentence that we read right here. From this sentence right at the end of the stable narrative, right before we steer the corner to angels lighting up the hills of Bethlehem with glory and shepherds being filled with joy. In this one small sentence, a further dimension of the Christmas story is understood and it's opened up. And it's in this one small sentence that we meet the minor character with the major influence. And that is, of course, the innkeeper. Now, when you think about it, the innkeeper is not actually mentioned anywhere in the Bible. In neither Matthew nor Luke, where the story of Jesus' birth is recorded, nowhere does it say the innkeeper. He is inferenced, mentioned by inference. But actually, he plays a really significant role within the Christmas story. And before we come to that, and we're going to kind of finish by focusing on that, there's a little bit of background work that we need to do as we open up the passage and journey to just how significant this innkeeper's role was. So back up with me to the beginning of the passage again, the first five verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration. It was a census when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So according to the passage, the government want to do a count of the people in the land. And rather than sending someone out door to door to count the people, they order for every individual to journey back to their hometown, to the place of their birth, to be registered and counted there instead. And Mary has to make this journey with Joseph. It's a multiple day journey. And Mary is very pregnant. Like about to drop with cankles pregnant. And she has to journey for days to a completely different town. This is somewhat inconvenient. Now I reckon that Mary must have got a tad frustrated at this. I've been around a few pregnant ladies to understand that that might happen. And I reckon that she probably asked why, because I know I would. Why at this stage of the process do you drop this on my lap? I'm about to deliver this baby. I'm stressed about the delivery of the baby. I'm worried about people's reactions to the baby. I'm worried about what's going to happen when the baby gets here. And now you decide to drop this on my lap. Are you having a laugh, God? Seriously. 
You're the God that sees the beginning from the end. You knew that I was going to have to make this uncomfortable journey, a journey that takes me outside my comfort zone at one of the most vulnerable stages in my entire life, and you still let this happen. You're the God that knows the beginning from the end. Couldn't you have pushed the pregnancy nine months after this? Couldn't you have pushed the census to another stage? Couldn't you have brought this forward or changed it, but yet you've chosen to make this happen at this point? Why? I reckon Mary probably would have been in one of those shaking the fists at God, questioning type moments. And the answer actually is really simple as to why it happened. The reason was that God was positioning her for purpose. You see, God had prophetically ordained that Bethlehem was going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. We see it in Micah. Matthew calls it out in, in his telling of the story, and he, he points to this, and he's, he tells us that the, the, the prophetic utterance, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And there's other texts that point to that. But God had prophetically ordained that Bethlehem was going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. And as God reveals his purpose and births that within Mary, God then begins to alter things in the world around Mary to position her for his purpose and to fulfill his will. And from this, we begin to pull out a number of things. Three main things we pull out. And the first is this. God will always position us for his purpose. God is one who not only reveals his purpose to us and not only gives us the awesome privilege of being part of his will and his kingdom agenda, but he also transitions us, he also moves us, he also positions us so that that which we carry is released at the right time within the right moment and in the right place. And what that means then is that sometimes we face moments in life when we have an understanding of what it is that God has called us to or what it is that he seems to be doing in our lives. And just as we come to the place of being one with that, just as we come to the place of saying, okay, I get it, I yield to that, I give my yes to that, it's almost as though in that moment, the world around us suddenly changes. God reveals to us what he's going to do, and, and, and we, we battle with it at times, at least I do. We battle with it, and we wrestle with it, and then we come to the place of being at peace with it, and even surrendering to it, and, and bringing our whole lives into alignment with us, and saying, okay, God, I'm on board with this. And just at the point where you think, having said our yes and amen, having laid out everything down, you think, right, it's all going to click into place now, and everything's going to be nice and easy, and blessed, and anointed, and spiritual wonderful, but in actual fact, everything just seems to get difficult. Ever been in that place where things become stressful? Unexpected changes begin to happen. That which we perceive as obstacles turn up, and when we look out across life, it's as though the whole landscape of life has drastically changed within a blink of an eye, and we're like, when did that happen? Why has this happened? How did this happen? And we begin to question. Why has this happened to me? Why has all of this taken place? Why do I have to journey through this? Why has this been allowed to take place? Very often when the journey begins to get difficult, we begin to find ourselves being moved out of the arenas that we have marked as our comfort zones. And as unsettling as that can be, 
And those moments where we're like, we brought our yes and amen, and suddenly upheaval happens, and change happens, and difficulty happens, and barriers and obstacles take place, and we're like, what's going on? In the midst of it all, if we pause and look under the surface of it, we might just find that in the midst of the chaos, God is actually positioning us for His purpose. He may be changing the world around us to change our inner world. He may be bringing this upheaval and this momentum and and moving all the pieces about because we've settled where we're not meant to settle. We put down our roots where we're not meant to be planted. We become lazy or complacent. We're beginning to get spiritually fat, so He wants to release momentum into our lives. And just as we come and we say yes, He begins to alter the pieces because He's changing the outer world in order to transform our inner world, in order to position us so that that which we carry can be released at the right place and in the right time. The second thing that hits us when we read this is that the news of having to make this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was probably a major shock to Mary. She would have had all of this planned, and this was not what she planned. This was not what she'd hoped for. I doubt very much that Mary had thoughts of delivering her firstborn child in a stable a million miles from home using an animal's feeding trough as a makeshift crib. Mary probably had this all sussed out in her head, how she wanted this to happen, how she intended it to happen, even where she intended it to happen, those that she intended to be there, the family members whose presence would have brought assurance and comfort and guidance when it all began to happen. Maybe Mary probably had it all sussed out. And we know that because Mary was a thinker. If you remember in Luke 2, further down in the passage that we're reading, the shepherds turn up and begin to tell her the story of angels lighting up the sky and declaring glory to God in the highest and telling them this is what you're going to find. And they come and they find the baby and and says there, Mary treasured all these things in her heart and she pondered them. She's a ponderer. She's a thinker. When angel Gabriel appears and says, Mary, great news, you're going to have a baby. You are favored. God is with you. And she's like, hold on a minute. Can you just explain to me exactly how this is all going to happen? Just I can get it in my head. Just fill me in on, on, fill the dots in. How is this going to take place? He's like, okay, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Here's how it's going to happen. She would have had it all sussed out. She probably had her birth plan in place, probably had it spreadsheeted. She is an internal processor. I'm an external processor. My wife will tell you that. We phone each other on the way home from work each night. And she'll say, how was your day? And I'll be like, oh, it was great. I started like this and we had coffee. And then this person came in and I spoke to them. And, and then this call happened. And then this email happened. And then this person turned up and they were wearing this. And they said this. And I thought, that tone's not quite right. And they looked like this. And then I began to think like this. And then I had lunch. And this happened at lunch. And that was a bit weird. And I'll say, Susan, how was your day? And she'll go, fine. I'm an external processor. Susan is an internal processor. Mary was one who probably would have thought all of this out. She had plans. But God had other plans. And we have to realize a truth that we often rhyme off as Christian rhetoric, but it is truth. His ways are not our ways. And his plans are not our plans. And his thoughts are really nothing like ours. 
And we often say this as a quaint little saying. In fact, we often say it as the kind of get out of jail free card when things don't quite happen the way that we think they should have happened or the way that we hoped that they would happen or even the way that we prophesied and prayed and declared that they would happen. And when it doesn't happen that way, we play the trump card. Ah, but his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. He works in mysterious ways. He's wonders to perform. But this is more than a trump card and a quaint saying. It's truth. His plans aren't like ours and his ways aren't like our ways. Mary had to travel outside of her comfort zone to an entirely different context to deliver the purpose of God for her life in alignment with the will of God for the world. And what we say of Mary, we can say of us too. And I'm not suggesting that we all need to straddle a donkey and travel for hundreds of miles. I'm not even suggesting that you need to travel to a different context or you have to move to accomplish the purpose of God. We look at the headlines here. Sometimes we have to journey out with our comfort zone. Sometimes we have to step into the different. We have to walk through uncharted territory in order to step fully into his will and come into alignment with his purpose. And all too often, we have the purpose of God all packaged up in our neat little box of how we reckon it's all going to pan out, how it's going to come to pass, and the way that we believe that it's all going to be outworked. We package it all and work it out how we imagine that this is going to happen. But what we've got to recognize is that when we do that, we place ourselves in control of His purpose instead of Him. We put ourselves in that place of control. We create this lens through which we view the unfolding of his purpose and that lens actually becomes a set of blinkers that places anything outside of what we deem to be appropriate or anything outside of how we think this is going to outwork itself. Anything outside of that sits in a blind spot. And it stops us seeing and it stops us perceiving what God wants to do. It clouds our vision and makes our vision contain only what we want to see and not what God wants us to see. We have to remember that his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. They are higher, they are greater, and they are much, much better. The scripture says he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. So we've got to be careful because when we take the purpose of God and we package it and say, right, this is how I imagine that this is going to work out. This is how I imagine that this is going to take place. This is how I imagine that this is going to fit within my life. Well, he's actually able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine. So we place limits around what God is able to do within our lives and we place it in the blind spot. So what happens is that sometimes God has to begin to move us and he has to begin to transition us and reposition us. Sometimes he has to begin to take down the pre-constructed walls and the barricades that we put up. Sometimes he has to break down the barriers that we put in place, smash the lens that we are viewing life through, get rid of the perspective that we put over the soul. Sometimes he takes the game board of life with all the pieces that we have meticulously put into place and he just throws it all up into the air because he wants to release his purpose and release us from our control of it. And so sometimes he brings us to that place where momentum and upheaval begins to happen and transition and change has to happen. Sometimes he shakes our whole world and he drags us outside our comfort zones and brings us into that which is new and that which is foreign and that which at times is alien to us in order to realize his will over our will and in order to manifest his purpose. 
We have to recognize that there will be times when we need to journey through stuff that is hard. But what God does then is he uses it to release us from our controlling of the outworking of his will and bring us to a place where we grab hold of him. Because in those moments where he takes the game board of life and throws it all up in the air, in those moments when everything begins to move round about us and we hit obstacles and barriers and we feel like we're sinking and we reach out to him and we grab hold of him, well, we release our own control and we go grab hold of him and we put him back in the driving seat. We put him back in the position of control and influence. Sometimes God causes us to release our own control in order for him to release his purpose fully through us. And the opening line of this passage is amazing. It says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And then it says, and all went to be registered each to his hometown. God actually turned the whole world upside down to position Mary exactly where she needed to be. The NIV says that the census was of the entire Roman world. The English Standard Version says it was of the whole world. And probably in those days, the entire Roman world and the whole world weren't entirely different. But what we see happening here is that God turned the whole world upside down. He released momentum. Everybody was moving. Everybody was shifting. Everybody was changing. There was momentum happening all over the place. And he did that so that she was in the right place, that when the time came for her to give birth, she was in the right moment, the right place, and the right time for what God was doing to fall into accordance with what God had been saying. See, sometimes we get these prophetic words, we get this insight, we get revelation of purpose, and it lands in our soul. And when we say yes to it, what happens is from that moment onwards, God begins to shift the pieces. God begins to bring things and click them into place and move things out the way. He begins to transition our entire life's journey so that that which he is doing is in alignment with that which he is speaking. Our role then is that we need to be willing to step out when he says step out, to embrace change, to journey outside the comfort zone, to be stretched to be molded. We have to be willing to journey into and journey through because God will literally turn our whole world upside down and move all the pieces about in order to position us so when the time comes for that which he's released within us to be released through us, we are in the exact right place at the right time in the right moment in accordance with his will. The third interesting thing that this passage teaches us is that the gift always makes room for the individual. Actually, Proverbs 18 and 16 calls that out. In other words, God will always make room for you to realize your purpose. Mary's pregnancy was all about God's gift to the world. Mary carried that gift within her. And the time now came for Mary to fulfill her purpose and for that gift to be delivered. And God had ordained that that would come to pass in Bethlehem. And God had moved all the pieces around to position Mary in Bethlehem. And from an outlooker, outside onlooker's perspective, when you're looking at this, you're like, okay. So we see the prophetic utterance, Micah. This is going to happen in Bethlehem. 
The Savior is going to come in Bethlehem. And we see Mary carrying the Savior. And suddenly she arrives in Bethlehem. And the time has come. All the stars are in alignment. This is going to be wonderful. This is going to be powerful. This is going to be glorious. Everything's coming into alignment exactly as it should happen. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. But when Mary arrived in Bethlehem, there was no room. No room anywhere. She was in the right place at the right time, and she knew very clearly and very obviously that the time had come for her to deliver what God had given her. She knew that not because she had a quiver in the liver or a revelation from heaven or a blast of the anointing. She knew it because contractions were happening. Water was flowing from places. We won't go into that. She knew, I don't know why I said that. She knew, it's not in my notes, she knew that this was the moment. And when you look at it spiritually, the prophetic and utterance is about to come to pass. The, the, the one carrying the Savior has arrived in the right place. Spiritually, this looks wonderful. But in the natural, it looked impossible. Because everywhere they went, there was no room. But God made room. God made room for Mary to deliver that which she was carrying. And do you know what? There are seasons in life in which we might feel that we're in the right place at the right time, like God has positioned us, all the pieces have fallen into place. We sense his guidance, we sense his presence, and we think now is the time that we are to release that which we're carrying. Now is the time to step into the purpose of God, and in the spiritual it feels right, but when we look around in the natural, it just seems impossible. When we survey where he's brought us to, it feels like there just isn't any room for this to come to pass. It's almost as though everything is against you. Everything's like a locked door, a barrier, an obstacle. Every corner you turn, you hit a dead end. But fear not, the gift will make room for the person. That which you're carrying, that which you have been called to, that purpose that is stamped and shaping your life, he who issued that call and directs your purpose, he will create room for you. So at the right moment, in the right time, and in the right place, you will release that which you are carrying. God will always make room for his purpose to come to pass. But what we need to recognize here, and this is quite important, God will always make room for his purpose to come to pass. See, in these moments, purpose is king. It's all about the purpose of God. It's not actually about the person carrying his purpose. Unfortunately, in our modern-day Christian, trendy, celebrity Christianity, we've turned this on its head and make it all about people. When people are all about, this is what I am carrying, this is what I am releasing, I have prophetic utterance, I am a prophet, I am an apostle, I am a teacher, I have revelation. The problem is, when you make it more about the person than the purpose, you're not building kingdom, you're building an empire. When you make it all about yourself, when you place the focus upon the person instead of the purpose, you're not building kingdom, you're building an empire. When it's all about, look at me, when it's look at my ministry page, when your name and your face is all over it, it's not about him, it's all about you. And we must stop that and must stop it now. Purpose has to be king. He makes room for his purpose to come to pass. 
We serve the purpose of God. We are blessed to facilitate that. But we must agree never to make it about us. Church, can we agree that today? Because I really do believe that God is about to do something significant in Glasgow Elam. If I think over this past year, we've seen tastes of that. We've seen moments when glory has come. Services where we've not been able to do anything because His presence has come. And we've existed for hours just in His presence, not approaching the Word, not doing anything, just being there. Moments when we've come towards the end of a service and we're not really sure that we can finish it because He's beginning to move and He's beginning to minister. Times in worship where you're like, what do we do? Do we keep fueling the worship? Do we not do it because God is beginning to move? Times in which, remember the Sunday where we had loads of people standing up talking about healing that had happened all across the building. Times that souls have been saved in their multitudes and by the tens in, in, in the kingdom. We've seen decisions. I can even tell you, not that long ago at the last deacons meeting that we had, we began to pray and worship God and I wasn't even sure that we were going to get to the business. And I couldn't figure out whether that was a good thing or not. But God's presence came so close. And do you know what? I think it's not so much about it being tasters, but if I can use this analogy given the fact that in Vision Day he says, sing barren woman, I think we're actually having some Braxton Hicks. Where, and Susan will keep me right on this, according to Susan, Braxton Hicks is when the body almost has a practice, goes through the motions to prepare itself and to have a practice for when delivery comes. Is that right? <laughs> I think perhaps as a church, that's been a bit of what we've had experiences of. And those moments when suddenly glory is with us and, and then it's not. When suddenly we pause everything or his presence comes close and then he moves or transitions. I think what actually has been happening is God's been stretching the wineskin. He's been preparing us for what is to come, but can we make this agreement today, right now? And we're saying this to a room of Glasgow, I'm speaking to the house. Can we agree that when God moves and we believe he will, we will turn the spotlight off? We will never make this about us. We will never make this about Glasgow Elam. We will never put it all over social media. We will not shout about it, advertise it. We will not say, come to us because we are it. We will never try and poach people from other churches to come to our churches. We will never make it about us, but we will always make it about him. Can we agree that as Glasgow Elam, we will never build an empire. We will only commit to being part of building his kingdom. Can we agree that not just as a church, but as individuals, we will mirror this and model this in our own lives. That this is the culture that we are shaping here at Glasgow Elam. That we will not go about labeling ourselves as I am a prophet, I am an apostle, I am a teacher. Don't get me wrong, I believe in all of that stuff and welcome all of that stuff. But let's stop making it about us and let's start making it all about him. Let's spotlight Jesus because he's the one that matters the most. Amen. God will always make room for his purpose to come to pass. And this is the moment where we switch the whole message on its head because we begin to look now at exactly how God made room, how room was made for that which was being delivered within the Christmas story. And Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem with a very real need. They are far from home. 
They are in many senses in an unknown place. Mary is showing the signs of early labor. They're in a moment of crisis. They need shelter. They need a place to stay. They need accommodation and they need it quick. And they turn to an inn and discover that all the rooms are taken. And yet despite the fact that this innkeeper has no room in his inn, something makes him look to help. Something makes him accommodate this couple in their moment of need. Here is this couple that are in a crisis. They have a need. They need accommodation. They need a room. The innkeeper doesn't have any room, but he gives them what he has. He gives all that he has left to serve the needs of this couple in their moment of crisis. And in doing so, he became part of God's plan and purpose for the release of the kingdom on planet Earth. This is massive. This man facilitated the kingdom of God on Earth by serving the needs of others with what he had. I'm becoming more and more convinced in my old age <laughs> that the key to facilitating the kingdom of God and seeing God move in our lives and in our church is to make room in our lives and our church to serve the needs of other people. It's when we bring what we have and engage the little that we have in serving the needs of others, particularly at the moment of crisis, that we suddenly become part of the divine plan and purpose of God and cause something of the kingdom of God to be released and made manifest upon the earth. Kingdom manifestations are locked up in serving the needs of other people. And we can take this a step further, actually. This innkeeper hosted the manifest presence of God on earth. He facilitated the breaking in of God. That's what happened here. In this moment, in this passage, there was the breaking in of God upon the earth. This is all about the presence of God. As a result of this baby being born, God would no longer be aloof in temples and stuff. He was going to come and live in the hearts and souls of men and women. When Jesus died and rose again, the veil was torn in two, and access to the manifest presence of God was made available to every man, woman, boy, and girl that would put their faith and trust in him. This was about the breaking in of God upon planet earth. And this man facilitated the breaking in of God. How did he do it? Was he fasting for hours on end? No. Did he memorize scripture inside and out? No. Was he prophesying? Was he laying hold of the brand new anointing that has been released from heaven that only those and such of those can get? No. Was he in prayer and supplication? No. He just served the need of a couple on his doorstep. This is massively profound. Manifestations of glory are found within manifestations of mercy. Please hear heart here. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see what happens when God's glory moves in to a church, to a city, to a community and brings radical change. I want to see gifts. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see healing. I want to see people arriving in his presence and leaving free and transformed. I want to see the prophetic and I want to see it being done healthily because I'm sick of seeing it being done so unhealthily and in ways that are about building empire. 
I want to see God move and souls being saved. I want to see all of that. But I am more and more convinced that the key to seeing that stuff, the key to transitioning into glory, hosting his presence, is found when the people of God begin to serve the needs of those around them. Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. If you love God, you've got to love others, and loving others flows out of loving God. The problem is that in church, we become so obsessed with discipleship and memorizing scripture and prayer and fasting and supplication and signs and wonders and miracles and gifts and my ministry we become so obsessed with loving God and all those things are important. We need to pray and fast. We need discipleship. We need to learn scripture. We need to press into all that God has. We need to step into our calling and our purpose. But if we do all of that without loving others, we are failing. In fact, we have failed. And if our model of church only facilitates that stuff, but pays no recognition to the needs in our community, or doesn't mobilize us to serve other people, we have failed. Because what we see Christ doing is walking into environment after environment and serving the need that was right in front of him, using that to preach the gospel, to teach, to disciple, to release people into the reality of God. We see it throughout Scripture. God sets up a nation. He comes down in glory in Sinai. He sets up a nation. He sets up bylaws and, and laws. And, and in that, it's all about looking after the alien and, and those in the land and caring for one another. Jesus comes walking and into every situation. He serves the needs of the people around about him. The church is born in the book of Acts. And one of the first things that our attention is drawn to is Peter and John going to pray and meeting a lame man on the way and, and serving the need of the man that sat outside the church door. Manifestations of glory are found in manifestations of mercy. And we've been great at sending need and resource all across the world, and we bless that, and we will continue to serve that. But let me tell you, friends, if we keep coming here and having great worship and great times in the presence of God, but completely ignoring the needs that are on our doorstep in our own community, we are failing. We are failing. And this is something that we need to model as a church, but it's something that we need to model as individuals. How, how do we know? How do we do it? What, what do we do? This man became part of the breaking in of God because he opened his front door and he responded to the need that was standing right on his doorstep, right under his nose. Church, we need to model this as a lifestyle and not just as a thing that we do as a church. But we need to walk into every day into every environment and just serve the need that is under our nose. Serve the need that is on our doorstep. I fully believe that God brought that couple to the doorstep of that innkeeper because he knew that that man would serve the needs of that couple with what he had. Could it be that God has brought those people into your workplace, into your friendship group, into your family unit, into your street, into your connect group, because he wants you to serve the needs of those that he brings in front of you with what you have. Manifestations of glory are found 
within manifestations of mercy. This innkeeper is a minor character. He doesn't get named. He doesn't even get directly mentioned. He is indirectly referenced. But he became part of the advancement of the kingdom, part of the breaking in of God, part of the fulfillment of God's will on earth, simply by serving the needs of another. Clearly, his kingdom come and his will being done is equal to and is found in the service of others. And truly in this season, this is the last full sermon I'll preach this side of 2023. And I think it could just be that God is speaking to us about the culture that he's looking for us to step into, that we will be a people that seek God with all that we've got. We will be a people that share our faith as best we can, but we'll also be a people that are committed to the serving of others and will not view acts of kindness and social justice as lesser, inferior, less spiritual stuff, but actually as vital and mandatory for seeing the breaking in of God and for hosting his presence. A number of years ago, and I remember sharing this with you before, but I'll share it again. In Greenock, we had uh, the privilege of working with Times Square Church as they sent 200 Americans uh, over to host a week of crusades or services. And during that time, I got to know the senior associate pastor there, a man called Neil Rhodes from South Africa, although he much preferred to be known as a Rhodesian. And he said, Fraser, what's your vision? What's your vision for ministry? And I said to him exactly what I said to you guys just a moment ago. I want to see what happens when the glory of God turns up and transforms a community. And he said, okay, I want to give you the advice that David Wilkerson gave to me. He says, if you want to see the glory of God with unprecedented flow, reach the poor. He says, that's it. Because when you touch what is on his heart, he trusts you with his heart. And all through the scripture, God's heart is for the lowly and the broken and the widow and the orphan and the destitute. All through the scripture, he calls out for his people to reach the broken and the lost. When we touch that which is on his heart, when we begin to represent his heart, he reveals more and more of his heart to us. Isaiah 58, one of my favorite passages, God says, is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? He says, here's how you get my attention. Feed the hungry. Clothe the poor. Reach out to the broken. And then God says this, and then my glory will rise upon you. Healing will break forth. You will call and I will answer and say, here I am. Healing will break forth like the dawn. Light will pierce the darkness. But what's interesting is God says here, you want to see glory, you want to see healing, you want to see me turning up, you want to see answered prayer, you want to see miracles, 
Well, he says, I want you to memorize all of the Psalms in Hebrew. No. I want you to spend three days a week praying in tongues. No. I, I, I want you to, to fast and, and petition. No. I, I want you to, 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 to fit a sentence of scripture into every single sentence that you speak. No. He says, I want you, I want you to carry my heart wherever you go. I want you to touch those that are on my heart. And again, I emphasize all that stuff is important. Tongues, prophecy, scripture, praying, really important. We will always facilitate that. But our call is to love him, become more like him. But what we have to realize is that if we do, then we need to start serving the world around about us and touching that which is on his heart because that's what he calls us to do. 2024, let's be those people, eh? Let's serve the needs of those around us. Let's pray.